Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diane. And this is Talker. Welcome to Talker. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling particularly musical today. No. Yes. That's not like you. Well, uh, <laughs> I have just been in a taxi getting here, mm. and by some weird synchronicity, the driver was playing kind of old uh, Bob Marley records, yeah. which is kind of uh, linked in a way to today's guest, because uh, today's guest is really inspired by... Um, dub music and reggae, reggae and uh the west kind of, indian music yeah and the and the kind of club scene mm-hmm. you know all the way from the kind of 1980s to the present day and kind of the british club scene yeah definitely yes. yeah yeah and it brought back lots of memories for me because when i was growing up at the age of 11 my brother was a dj and he was particularly into like house music that's where he ended up in the club scene um but he was initially really inspired by reggae and dub so i grew up from a young age with him with his turntables in the house playing kind of uh, Lee Scratch Perry records, you know, obviously the more mainstream things like uh, Bob Marley, but that's such a big part of my childhood. And sadly, he ended up passing away. And in even in his funeral, they played Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley. No. So for a long time, I wasn't even able to listen to like reggae music because he used to really uh, sort of re bring back all the memories of my brother. Was that your mum and dad's choice to play that? Yeah, I guess it was all of us. I think we we did it in the funeral. I rem- I really remember Bob Marley's voice like in the church when 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 he died. But so for a long time I couldn't hear it, but now hearing it in a car today like it brings back really happy memories because I've kind of come through all the grief and yeah, yeah. you know, I've I've got there 20 years later or whatever, 25 years later. Wow. But yeah, and it, it was quite a profound thing today to have that in the car as I'd been thinking a lot about um kind of history of dub music anyway. Yeah. So mm. yeah, I forgot I had my own little personal link to it. Yeah. But um today's guest is an incredible painter yeah. and um we have been admirers of his work for a few years now. Mm. And I first discovered him through um, Matthew Higgs at um White Collins in in America. Mm-hmm. He was actually showing him I think even in maybe in like Nada at an art fair booth once. I think I saw a drawing by by this artist, mm-hmm. which I really loved. Mm-hmm. And I remember photographing it and then sort of investigating the work. And that was the first discovery. And it was only literally like two years ago, yeah, three years right. ago. Yeah. Um, but he's been making work for a long time and um, I can't wait to speak with him. Yes. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Denzel Forrester. Hello, Talk Art. <laughs> Welcome. I've been doing it for over 40 years. I know. I know. It's the doing of it that's important. Not <laughs> the making of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it feel to be at this stage now, 40 years into your career, 
and having all this attention on you? Well, it's just amazing because I'm 63. I'll be 64 next year. And I've been doing this for, like I said, just over 40 years now. And it, everything started happening in 2015 through meeting Peter Doig, the well-known artist who's about two years younger than me, mm -hmm. who basically have given me a leg up, really. Mm. I mean, he saw my work over 35 years ago when I was a student um, at my MA show at the Royal College in 1983. That's the first time he saw my MA show. Wow. And he loved it, but he was a mess student at St. Martin's then. <laughs> so he couldn't know anything about it. Fast forward 35 years, he um, contacted me in 2015. I was working at Morley College. I was going to retire. You were teaching there, right? Teaching. I've yeah. been teaching there for 30 years. I right. started teaching there since 87, 88. Amazing. Um, so I was going to retire in 2016. Peter Doig emailed me in 2015. It went into my junk mail because ah. he's not on my system. My partner found it in my junk mail and she said, this guy Peter Doig is interested. He's just going to send you an email. No way. So I thought, what the hell has Peter Doig going for me? <laughs> So I emailed him back and he said, what do we want and stuff? He said, could we meet up in Dalston? I want to talk to you about your work, your painting. I thought, that's strange. Anyway, so we met down Dalston. I was meant to meet him about 12 o'clock, 12.31 Sunday. <laughs> I waited, 12.30 came, he didn't turn up. I thought, bloody hell, this is messing me about. So I went back to my, um, I had a flat in Stokey, went back to Stoke Newington, emailed him. He is coming on a train from Germany to meet me at 12.30. Wow. And his train was delayed. <laughs> so I reckon, could we meet in an hour or so? So I went back to Dalston and we met about 1.30, 2.30. And he said, yes, I saw your work at the Royal College in 83. And really liked it. I wonder if you still have it and have you got all your stuff and I would want to give you an exhibition in my gallery in Shoreditch. I thought, so this, cool. guy is, this guy is crazy. <laughs> it, couldn't, it couldn't be. Um, yeah, so I went and looked at this gallery. I thought, God, this is amazing space. This is the Tramps Gallery. Tramps, yes. yeah, Tramps in Shoreditch. Yeah. And so I loved it and I said yes. And Peter was on his way back in 2015, um, going back to Trinidad because he's, he grew up in Trinidad as a youth um, till he moved to Canada when he was 12. Anyway, so um, he emailed me saying, I found another venue for your exhibition. White Columns, New York, wow. Matthew Higgs Gallery. So I thought, cool. oh, oh, this guy is a bit, this is too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he and Matthew came down in 2016, summer, around June time, because I moved to Cornwall in 2015 because I was retiring. Because I moved all my work from London. But you're still uh, painting every day. Do you paint oh, and draw God, every no. day? Yeah, that's the, that's the main objective. I was stopping when I was 60. I was 60 in 2016, so I stopped teaching because I've been teaching three days a week which is like part-time and painting the next three days a week right. but it's you know teaching is very demanding it's like I've yeah, been like sure. 40 kids a week you know yeah, and they're yeah, all yeah. like you know need your attention and I guess you also <laughs> have all of their own creative issues yeah. that you then sort of take on and well, because if you're a good teacher you probably really emotionally invest in it so well that's it is like fine everyone is an individual and it's bringing out their own vision out yeah and some of them stayed with me for like 10, 15 years. When I tell them I was leaving after, you know, spending so long with me, mm. they were in a state of shock. It was like a marriage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> anyway, so Peace and Mafia came down 2016, summer, but June, July. Looked at over 40 years of my work. No way. Literally. Well, all my work. 
I had this massive big barn in Cornwall I rented because the paintings the paintings are quite big, you know, mm. they're 10 feet, you know, three, four meters. And did you do you store them all yourself? Like you wrapped them and protected them? And Well, well, that's the thing. People think making paint, but you got to actually have a big story. Yeah. You do big work. Yeah. You got to make sure it's not damp. Yeah. And when you have lots of them, oh God, it's more difficult because you, you know, they could easily get scratched and all that stuff. Anyway, they looked at all, all the work I've done and selected two exhibitions, one for Tramps, yeah. um, London, yeah. and one for White Column, New York. Matthew selected all the early 80s, early, early 80s, of mainly Josh Shaka, Dalston, Foasis, Thebes, that sort of those. No, so these are, cl- these are clubs. So Josh Shaka was... Uh, Josh Shaka used to play at Thebes. Josh Shaka is the DJ. He's the ultimate DJ, Josh Shaka. He's been doing it since he was about 18, I think. He's about, he must be in his late 60s now. Yeah, and he he's was, still, still going strong, isn't he? He's still going he strong. He was your hero. Well, he was my hero because he really, um, the thing he did for the youth, Josh Shaka, is incredible because you could go and see Josh Shaka now and there's people in their 50s and 60s who used to follow him when he was a youth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so cool. That's you. That's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he was to, a real pioneer, wasn't he? Yeah, so I hadn't drawn Josh Shaka for over 30 years and I draw him about, I went and drew him about two, three weeks ago at Ludbrook Grove. I was playing beneath the flyover. So he was incredible. And he's still... Got the energy. And what does he look like? What is so like appealing about his image, about what he... Well, he's the ultimate performance artist, really. He's not just a DJ. He toasts, you know, rap on the mic, you know. Mm. Um, he's, he's messed about with the record. He mixes, you know, he brings in all the different sirens, whatever his pole is or whatever, you know. He does it. He dance. But visually, yeah. but visually, what is it about him that you're kind of slightly transfixed by to follow him around in your early days? Uh... Well, he's got it. Well, it's an energy, isn't he? He's got an energy mm. that is difficult to explain these things uh, verbally. Um, the, it's not just to do with him, but it's he and his song system. What he creates. The, the yeah. machine. Because he, he's always, you know, playing his song system. Then then there's the crowd around him. Mm. There's about, he's got about five or six people who really work with him. And so, so it's not just him, but it's the whole setup. His machine and the crowd around him, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's you know, it's the big, it's a big thing, really. And I think your your work really captures that atmosphere. And there's a sense with, I think, there's a type of sound system that uh, Jarshaka actually, you know, kind of uh, promoted in a way, which is this kind of mono sound system, yeah. which which actually is much more like a, a punch almost to your body. It's when the sound hits you, mm. yeah. it's very different to stereo sound. Just for our listeners to understand, that's a bass thing. That's yeah. like a, a a solid well, bass. Well, well, reggae, reggae is a much more, to me, is a much more aggressive music. Right. You know, drum and bass. That's, you know, drum, you got to understand drum. And when you, when you go to one of those events in those days, you'd be in a basement. Yeah. There's no way to run. <laughs> the music is, you'll be sweating for the first half an hour because the music just goes through your whole body. Yeah. It'll take you like half an hour to get used to the bass. You know, because mm. there's nowhere to go. You're in a basement in in Dalston. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, there's no hardly any lights. There's a little, a tiny little sixty watt Jashaka Jashaka is a bulb there to play his records. That's about it. So it's dark. The music is like, ooh, and people are moving like. I mean, you could just see because I'm I was there to actually cap well not capture but feel and draw that energy you want to harness your works harness that energy yeah i mean that gave me something to work 
so when I come to my canvas, yeah, because I made the drawings to the length of a record. So a record in those days, like four or five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll draw, the crowd goes mad. I'll go mad on my A1 paper. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll stop when the record stops. If they don't go mad for the next record, I don't draw. Ah. Oh, it's only if the crowd go mad for the song. Oh, yeah, drawing. yeah, of course, yeah. And where do you position yourself to do this in the club? You've got to have a very good view of the DJ. Right. And the crowd. Yeah. So usually I'm at a side angle, more from the back side. So back and profile. So I've got a back of Josh Shaka sometime because he's moving. He's, yeah. He moves, you know, he doesn't stand still because he dances as well. So you got to you got to be about eight, nine feet away yeah. from him. Yeah. So, because basically there was no way for me to stand on the dance floor. So I used to be behind the bar. Wow. And the bar would be about four feet wide and six, seven so feet long. So would they hate you because you'd be getting in the way <laughs> on busy nights? <laughs> well, probably they did, but I didn't care. I had to go on draw. How did you, how did you um, uh, connect to that relationship with these clubs that they allowed you to sort of take up that space in their... Well... The, 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 this, that, those song systems were like, I would say 60, 70% Rastafarians. Right. And the Rastafarians, they love art and culture. Yes. In those days, those um, man and woman come all dressed up in the regalia, you know. They look as like princes and princesses. Amazing. You know, headgear and, you know, feel proud. Um, and if they say, you're an artist, man, come and draw me. And Yeah, come and draw me. And some would, some would just come and say, draw me, and I'll have to draw them because I'm there. <laughs> what, and they'll just stand in front of you? They'll like... stand in front of me, yeah. They'll say, draw me, man, draw me. And I'll do it for five or ten. So it'll be totally different as opposed to the drawings I'm doing of the whole crowd. Yeah. The drawing I'm doing of the whole crowd is called gesture drawings. Okay. It's the movement, action, and expression of what you feel that those bodies are doing out there. The, what's making them move? What's make what's the sound doing to them? And if if you if you capture it, you capture it. If you don't, you don't. Now, if someone comes in front of me and say, "Draw me," obviously I have to change that type of energy. Yeah, I'm not just doing a pure gesture drawing. Yeah, yeah. it has a, a little bit of gesture because I have to do it quick. But I'm not doing about three or four. Oh, well, 200 figures going crazy on the dance floor. Usually I'll take about 20, you know, because I do small groups. Uh, so it's a totally different energy. And it's interesting because you're interrupting their space and they come and ask you to do something. You have to do it. Yeah, of course. You cannot just ignore it's them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, so, it's, so it's good for me. It was good for me because it, it's, just, it's making you interact with the crowd in a different way. But that that was just more... Because there is two parts to the club. There is the more disco, R&B, with well, Lover's Rock, which is the top bit. So it's more like mellow, softer music that starts about 11 till 1. Mm. And that's the top part of the place I was club I used yeah. to go. The basement is Josh Shaka. So Josh Shaka come in about, say, 1 o'clock. And it'll take him about, say, about 40 minutes to set up. You know, because it's all mono valve system. The speakers yes. are his, the speakers are in his truck, so they had to carry all those massive speakers from his big truck outside, set them up, wire them up. Then he'll do his amplifier, you know, which is about six about six feet high, and so. And then, of course, you'll get his big bag of spliff out, <laughs> lights up, and oh, oh, you go. <laughs> I mean, it was just like I mean those I mean those things. I mean, if you haven't been to one, it's difficult to explain it. And that's, I suppose that's the exciting thing about me being there, um, drawing and trying to sort of 
harness that energy of that time. Would you, you know? go into like a trance-like state on these drawings? Well, you probably will because there'll be a lot of weeds. Remember, those people smoke weed. Yeah. You, people are allowed to smoke and do whatever you would want. You do, would you do? Would you do that while you was working? No, no, no. I don't smoke. I don't. I never smoke. I never smoke. But the room is full of. You can smell it. You yeah, can yeah. Taste you it. take it on. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, so you'll, you'll be sort of. I'm taking it in. But but so also, I think I think the music has such a massive impact as well to your mood and to mm. your your emotional mm. state in a way. Because yeah. that in itself can be quite a transcendent. Transform you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. will transform you. And I've heard well. you before describe it as a kind of deep hypnotic ancestral beat. Yeah. And I remember really clearly my brother saying to me, one of the reasons he really related to that style of music was because of this concept of kind of freedom somehow. Yeah. And I, I love the way you describe all of that. Well, that's why I think so much people used to go to it. And I think they look forward what is the main thing at the end of the week. Right. I mean, it's Friday and Saturday. It, I mean, it's like going back in your kind of, I don't know, prehistoric time when, you know, people probably... You used to do those things naturally in the evening, worshiping stuff, and you know, but you don't get a lot of that now. In the place, your places where you can go and just feel free, let everything come out out yeah. of you. But and that's what I think that the, the, the Josh Hacker was good because he allowed a, a lot of people. Well, then was young people, of course. You know, that space to come in. And it's like being under the stars. I mean, when I was in the West Indies, because I was born in Grenada, yeah. I wasn't born in Jamaica, so it was more carnival. And you'll turn up at the junction every evening and there'll be still band playing, there'll be people dancing and they'll be making new music. So you'll be there for about three or four hours every evening because you're leading up to carnival, you see. So when you come to London, there's none of that. No. <laughs> there's none of, oh, what do you do? You know, of course people... People started having house parties, right. blues parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in your front room, you got your little stereo and you invite your friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom, I used to be my mom's DJ, you see, when, you know, when I was like, you know, what, 13, 14. Yeah. So that's how those things started. Well, so she'd have a party at house and yeah. at home and you'd yeah. be there DJing for all of her friends. That's it. So they'll have a party cool. every month. That's, I mean... Would you ever draw her friends? Did you ever do anything like no, that? No, 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 no. I had to play the music. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting because that idea of family as well. I think mm. I think the clubs almost become like this extended that's family. That's it. So it started in people's front rooms yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the new generation came... And they have to have the, you know, they have to have their two speakers and their deck, you know, young people and their ghetto blasters. And that's when they start getting big spaces, big nightclubs, yeah. big cinemas and stuff like that. And then the whole thing went from your front room into a big open space, open arena. Wow. Started with the old cinemas, when th you know, and then, of course, um, big pubs, basically. I mean, Thebes, Thebes used to be, I think the Craig used to go to Thebes when in the 50s and 60s. The Craigs? The Craig Brothers. Really? Yes, yeah. Well, it's Hackney. Yeah, of you course. Know, that's yeah. that's their stomping ground. Yeah. It's not there anymore, though, is it? It's a bloody posh flats now. Is it? No. Yeah, it's a shame all those places have been bloody bought out. And turning, I mean, there's no kind of social places where big crowds yeah. go, mm. you know, and and be as one as a, a community, basically. Yeah, basically, because it's a, it's a communal space, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, so you grew up in in Grenada, and you well, moved, for, for ten years. Yeah, for ten years. <laughs> and at the age of eleven, you Love. moved to England. Yeah. So, do you remember that being a drastic kind of? Because it must have been such a shock coming to London when suddenly you don't have the kind of nature you would have had, I guess, surrounding you, but also the weather and I guess the houses and just the whole thing was so different to you. Was that a real shock? Yeah, well, well, I was a country boy. 
Yeah. I've been in a house with a little shack. Right. You know, so you come to London, it's dark, it's damp, mm. it smells. <laughs> and of course, that's just after the um, the smog, because I came in 67. Right. So we were just coming out, London was just coming out of all that smog stuff. What's I mean, the I smog did, stuff? I don't I know. Did, I didn't like experience it. You know, the fireplaces. Yeah, they used to have really terrible pollution. <laughs> yeah. They'd just be like black skies almost. So it'll be dark. I mean, I mean, it's amazing London, they change because the early, the Windrush people experienced it. Yes. I didn't. I just missed it. But there was just echoes of it. So that's, anyway, so it was dark, damp, and this, the houses, I was shocked with the size of the houses. They were like churches. Right. They were so mm-hmm. big. The only big buildings you have in the West Indies when I was, well, when I was there would be the, the church. So, and some of the houses over here, you look up and you might see a cross on top of one. Right. And, oh, for God, they're a bit religious. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I came over. Then um, went to my mom's house. My mom rented this house on Rectory Road. And I've got all these new brothers and sisters. It was Sheila, Richie, Trevor. So, oh, my brother from Western is Doug. And, but so I had all these new siblings I've never seen. It was quite incredible, really. It took me quite a while to get used to it. But I got used to it very quick. What do you mean? Hang on a minute. Were they, were they blood siblings? Like actual family related? Well, my mom came over before me. Oh, I see. My mom was there seven years before me. She left when I was three. Oh, right. And then sent for me. So she had all these new kids when I... No so what way. turned up? And there's have all these new brothers and Huge sisters. Family. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so what? So your parents like separated, and your mum came to the UK. Yeah, and you remained in Grenada. My mom, I remained in Grenada with lovely couple, my pets and Parklim, who adopted me for seven years. Wow. And was probably the best thing that happened to me. <laughs> they really lo- loved me and cared for me. Oh. They actually sent back for me when my mom brought me over to London, but my mom wouldn't send me back. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, oh yeah. oh yeah, oh God, yes. <laughs> anyway, but what did you? What can you remember being a kid and feeling like what you wanted? Where well, did I never you wanted do? to come to London. Mm-hmm. I know I, I wanted to run away and hide up a tree or something. But the the people I live with, my pets and Parkland, you couldn't do that, you know, right. because I was well disciplined. You not you can't do that. So I had to come to London. I mean, in retrospect, I mean it's amazing that I did come. Yeah. Um, but. Um, I probably, if I stayed, I would have about 20 kids now. Nice. I would have been a, you know, I would have, I would have been a farmer, you know, landowner. You'd have had so. a house like a church. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, um, you would never have gone to the club scene here. So maybe you would nah. never have started documenting that. I would have never. the artist you became. So. I would have never met my partner. Right, right, right. It's amazing. Coming to London, it's incredible what it has done for me. I mean, all my paintings are about London and the West Indies, basically. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's... There's one comment I've read that you've spoken about before, which really touched me, which is this concept of nature within a club. So if you're in a club, the the mirror ball can somehow break up light. Uh, And it's a bit like if you're looking up in a forest through uh, the trees and then you see light refracting and fragmenting coming through. And I'd never really consciously thought about that. I always think of disco balls being 70s or, you know what I mean, like disco. And I just think of it more like that. But I never actually thought about the effect of the light. And that's something that your paintings reveal as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the times we do all this modern stuff, but basically we're kind of replicating nature yes and because I grew up in the country when it gets dark it gets dark and I used to have to take I lived in the village and I used to go up I used to have like half an hour to the country house where Parklam lived so you're sort of like the farmhouse where they do all the cocoa nutmeg and banana I used to have to take his lunch up for him and his dinner so I lived at the townhouse about say four or five 
and on my way, it's getting dark. And I'm covered by cocoa trees, nutmeg trees, banana trees, and spooky. Yeah. And, you know, once it gets dark, all you have is moonlight. And all cracks in the trees, all stuff. You go, oh, your hair is getting, oh, you know. <laughs> uh, and so you get to the end of the destination and you feel, thank God I made it. But nature is just so spooky. You know, it's, you know, just everything is there, of course. All the animals, they're falling asleep. Or you might hear the tree or bamboo. Bamboo, really, they crack against each other. They rub against each other. And they make this incredible noise. And if you're in the forest with just the bamboo going... And you're like under 10 years yeah, old at this point. Excuse me. And when you hear the local people talking about stuff that... The have, spirits or something. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, it's... It's just spooky. Spooky, you scare it's yourself, spooky. yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about that painting, the painting I did called Three Wicked Men. That's the painting mm. I wrote that bit about. When I did Three Wicked Men, it's basically a, um, a dread in the middle and two British cops on the side. Yes. And it's it's set on a London street scene. It's basically real 80s with all the problems they had in Brixton, stop and search. Yeah. Where people, I think they they, they stopped about a thousand a week and arrested about 90. Yeah. So there was lots of unease and stuff. Anyway, so that painting is about that that part of London. Mm. And also you lost, a, you lost a friend, didn't you? That's Winston Rose, yeah, in 1981. Yeah. But when I did that painting, I was at Royal College. And it was very, it's a big painting, it's over four meters. But it was very spooky during that painting in an institution like art school when people are doing like abstract paintings and I'm painting these big police guys. Wow. So I painted it in the summer when no one was there. Because oh, really? in the summer, when people, or you have a break, in those days you could go in and use the studio so there's no tutors and hardly any students. <laughs> oh, that's good. So you, felt, you felt like freer in space to do well, what you was, wanted to do. The subject matter was so toxic. Was so toxic. You really? mean, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, you felt like it was too political for people to really accept at the time, or yeah, well, not only that, but you painting the police and people being arrested and stuff. I didn't, I didn't consciously realize that when I look back in retrospect. That's why I couldn't do it with so much people in the room. So uh, you know, you do things naturally. So I find the right time to do it, right? Which is when no one was there. But when I had to do it all the background spaces, so you have your you have your two your three main dudes, the three wicked men. Yeah. Then I had to sort out the background. I just I didn't just want a street lamp mm. and a few cobblestones or whatever, or you know, paving stones. So I had lots of the stuff from the nightclubs. Uh, that's sort of a, a drug dealer in the background, mm. you know. <laughs> and then I thought. I've got to do something with the background. I've got to make it more intense. And that's where the forest, the dark night came in. I started doing leaf, like mosaic. So they, when the, when the um, mosaic ball flicker in the nightclub, you've got those little circular um, bubbles. So I did them a like leaf shape. Mm. And then... The light it, refractions that, you're talking about. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So it creates this kind of a night sky. So you kind of mix in a city with a forest. And that's that's how that came about. Yeah. So it's re, it's sort of it's trying to combine two worlds. My my world where I grew up in the West Indies, of course, walking at night in the forest when it's quite spooky, and of course London streets at night. But if you look, you've got to be careful. There's you know Babylon is behind you. I could come out from a nightclub at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And there's three or four guys in a car driving, cruising behind you. 
and you got to be very careful what you say to them. Right. They say, what you got in that bag? Oh, your pastels and paper. Yeah, pastels and paper. <laughs> yeah, you could be screwed up. Yeah, wow. you could, you know, you could jump, dump yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it never happened to me. It, the only, the only thing that happened to me once on Dalston, I was drawing in the in the days when there were all posters, billboards. Yeah, I was drawing this amazing billboard. It was like like five, six meters. I didn't actually know it was attached to a jewelry factory. A jewelry store. So I was drawing this thing and making drawings. I'd take it back to Central and make big paintings for it. One day I draw it, photograph it. On my got on my bike to go back to Central, Central School of Art. Two police guys grabbed me by the by the arms and took me to Dalston Police Station. Really? And said, oh, what are you doing? Um, because there's a woman who saw me drawing the bu- the billboard and thought I was drawing plans to steal. Are you steal, a case in the joint? Case, case oh, in the joint, no yeah. No way. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, so they took me down to the station. <laughs> then they said, what, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm just making drawings to make a painting from. So they didn't believe me. So they showed them all my sketchbooks. There's lots of nudes in it. So they fell apart laughing. <laughs> then they tried to get me on a stolen camera, a very expensive college camera. So they tried to get me on the stolen camera. They couldn't. They realized I was a true student. Yeah. So there's nothing they could do with me. So they chucked me down in the basement in the cell. So um, you know, so I thought, when are they going to flush my head in the toilet or something? But yeah. they, there's always two. One like soft one and one a rough one. Yeah, good so cop, bad cop. That's it. So one of them came down and because if he was going to punch me in the stomach and stop when he gets to my stomach. No. They, they, oh, yeah. They just, they just built Bullies. Up, but, Bullying, yeah. 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 So... Then they kept me for about two hours, but I didn't know you're supposed to tell them your name and address. All you, I didn't know that type of stuff. So I, I think I didn't give them my address or anything. Right. So I was charged with insulting language, like swearing. Really? <laughs> so I did turn up at Highbury Magistrate Court after about three or four weeks. And um, lots of the, lots of my 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 um, tutors came to speak on my behalf, wow. saying what a good student it was. So when was this? The eighties? Uh, that was about no, that was seventies because I was central. Seventies, okay. About seventy eight because right, I right. finished central in seventy nine. Right. Yeah. So this so this time, as I mean, that experience for you that mm. just sounds like so unjustified and well, also racially, brutal race, and racial. racial. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it feel like that experience has sort of defined your artwork and we, and. Rob touched on it, but your friend Winston Rose, who you yeah. grew up with, and he uh, died through police brutality. That's it. In 1981, um, when I was at the Royal College, I had to write a thesis. I didn't want to write about art anymore because I did an art at Central. When I was at Central during my BA, I wrote about Picasso and Cassie Gemos, Picasso's best friend when he was a young man. So I thought I wanted to do something else. And... Um, I was looking at the local six o'clock news one evening and my friend who I knew like three or four years back, which was um, when I used to live in um, Rectory Road, when I just came to London, his Winston Rose family lived on the top top floor of the house mm-hmm. and my mom lived on the ground floor and the first floor. Um, I was looking at the local news and Winston Rose came on, um, died in police custody. So I thought, oh, gosh, he must be only about 27. So I was shocked by the whole thing. So I went to see his family, because he had a younger brother and his mom, um, to find out more. But I couldn't find out anything because, you know, it was a raw subject subject matter, you know, so you just avoid it a little. So I thought, what can I do? I could do something on Winston Rose probably. So I went to the inquest at at, uh, Walton Forest Magistrate Court with my tape recorder. (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> and I taped the proceedings. Literally, I taped the whole... I didn't want to make things up, you see, because I, I remember most of it, but the trouble is I didn't want to sort of start imagining things. Yeah, yeah. yeah you wanted so it to be accurate. Yeah. I wanted to get it accurate. Yeah. So I taped it, and then I did my thesis on it. So after about a week of or two weeks of taping it, the last day I was there, suddenly someone in the court reckoned, Suspect tape! I thought, God, they found out I'm taping the proceedings. No. <laughs> so I was sitting there all shivering, thinking, oh, they're going to come and get me. Oh my God. But they taped the proceedings themselves. And when a tape is finished or they have to change it, they say suspect tape and they change. So I just walked up with my tape Oof. recorder. I thought, that's it. I'm not coming back. Yes. I've had enough now. Wow. So I wrote about in the middle of writing the thesis about Winston Rose and realized how brutally and horribly this guy was killed, um, I was so, I was, I, I didn't realize it, but I was in a bad state then. So I was doing this massive painting of Jashaka mm. on the crowd. So Jashaka was in the middle, his warrior song system and everything. And I thought, oh, why don't I do something for Winston Rose? So I took Jashaka out stick a coffin in the middle of this nightclub painting. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I used to draw a lot of people falling asleep. You know, you look around in a nightclub, where I used to draw, those people just falling asleep. They're tired, some of them. Yeah. And so I used, to, I used to draw them, you know, five, ten minutes, yeah. You got a nice still subject there. And I used one of the drawings I did of someone falling asleep for the head of Winston Rose. Oh, wow. And then his wife... Um, around the coffin and stuff and all the nightclub. But the nightclub, the nightclub painting really suited it because it was kind of dark. It was like a funeral, you know. Mm, so yeah, I, yeah. I didn't have to, I didn't have to create that atmosphere. I was, because the nightclub, they usually are very dark because mm. there was hardly any electric light. And then, so that was the first painting I did and I finished writing the thesis. And then I ended up doing, well, I, I couldn't have done Three Wicked Men without Winston Rose. Mm. Right, right, right. Three Wicked Men came about a year after, and this because with the, Winston, the burial of Winston Rose I've done in the first year at the Royal College. Then I did two quick drawings, big, well, big drawings, um, like a meter, because because the subject matter is so brutal. I mean, they, they killed this bloke in the back garden. They killed Winston Rose in the yeah. back garden, right? Mm-hmm. They obviously had to carry him to the van in the front. So four of them lifted him. He was him. having a psychotic episode, wasn't he? That's it. What happened is that his job was an electrician, yeah. a day job, and then he used to do boxing in the evening. Right. Uh, sort of semi-pro. Uh-huh. Um, but then he had a blood clot. And then, obviously, he had problems. Triggered you, episodes. Yeah, that's right. it. So he had breakdowns where the mental people used to have to come. Right. And what, in those days, what they did, they'd take you and put you in a small room like this, consolatory confinement. And if you've been violent, straight jacket. And then next day you'll come through, they'll let you out and you can go back and meet your family. So that used to happen a lot. So one day he was sitting in his front garden and he saw um, three or four police guys coming down the street. And of course, he thought, oh, they're coming to get me. So he rushed in through his house and went and hide in his back garden shed. Mm. And so they couldn't get through the front front door. So they went to the back house on the other side of the street the back, uh, on his back garden, came through his ba- the other neighbor's back garden to get into his back garden. And then when he realized that was happening, he rushed out of his shed, but they caught him. And about six of them had were on top of him in the back garden. And, well, that's the way, I don't know how they killed him that way. 
Um, I mean, they reckon he, he vomit, chucked and his vomit and stuff like that. Anyway, so they killed him in the back garden, carried him to the van, handcuffed, chucked him down, face down in the van, mm. handcuffed at the back. And in those days, those vans were pretty crude. Four guys got in, either side, two on either side, and they foot on top of him. And the so when I, really, when I got that information, the social worker who was new to the job, she came on the scene then and saw she had to get in the front of the van next to the driver. And she looked behind and that's what she saw. And she was in a state of shock herself. Uh, so the whole thing was so... So they killed this guy and now they put their foot on top of him, taking him to wherever the police... Halfway there, they reckon, oh, he hasn't got a pulse. He hasn't got a pulse. He's handcuffed. Mm. They lost the keys. I mean, oh. anyway, they killed him already. But so, so the whole thing was so, so I mean, it was horrible. Oh, anyway, so I did, I did quite a few of the police van from an aerial perspective. So you can see the police sitting in the van mm. and then Winston Rose on the floor mm. and then the driver and the social worker. In you the can front. see her staring back. Yeah, you can see her staring and back. He looks and like a Christ-like kind of yeah, yeah, vision. You, you start doing these things and you could see where the... You know, people do it all, you know, it's, it's you know, it comes around, you know, it's like, you know, the stars at night through the trees, mm. you know. Though that that position is always um, Christ. You, you don't, you're not doing Christ, but that's how it comes about. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it comes about, yeah. And in a way, it's such an incredible tribute to his memory as well. And, and the fact yeah. that his story, we're still talking about it right now, thanks to your paintings, yes. and your, your drawings and your, your yes. art. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mm. And then also recently in Brixton, um, you've just had a mural um, installed that you've created um, in Brixton Station. Which, which is Three Wicked Men. Which is Three Wicked Men. It's like a response, you know, <laughs> a, a more recent... It, yeah. yeah, I did another version. Um, London Underground contacted me about a year ago. To do, I've been avoiding them for quite a while because I don't like... I always paint what I want to paint. Yeah. Right. You know, right. I don't paint for like, you know, commissions. new commissions. Yeah. Yeah. I just do what I have. So that's why I didn't contact them. But Matthew, Matthew Higgs said, Oh, you must, you must do it. You must do it. So what? All right. If Matthew wants me to do it, because Matthew is a brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, so I thought, what can I do? And then me and my partner, Philippa, we start thinking about all the paintings that I've done. Has to be three wicked men. Mm. <laughs> so I've done four versions already. So I thought I could do another. Oh, you version. have. You've done four versions of three wicked men. Yeah. So yeah. And what are they like? Three wicked men. One, two, three, four. How have you titled them? Well, uh, there, there is one call from Trench Down to Porth Down. You know, I moved to Cornwall. Yeah, to my, Truro, lo right. my local beach is um, Porth Down. 
Right. I've got three wicked men on Porth Down Beach, and I've <laughs> called it from Trench Down to Porth Down. Yeah, good. So you got the three wicked men. Uh-huh. So I was doing, I thought I'll do a, a painting of my local beach. Uh-huh. So I went and draw all the people on my beach. Mm-hmm. And, but I did them in the kind of nightclub style, quick, but a bit longer. And I started the painting of all these people on the beach and the sea. The best, the best thing about the painting was the horizon. When the sky meets the sea, it's not level, it's diagonal. <laughs> and that was the most exciting part about it. But the rest of the painting wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't moving me. So I thought, what the hell can I do with this painting? I'm, it's not, I'm not being moved. Why don't I bring the three wicked men to Puff Down? <laughs> so I superimpose, I draw the three, three wicked men on the beach on top of all these people lying on the beach. Wow. And of course, they're quite big and vertical. And people are on the beach, they're lying down and they're doing this. Mm. So suddenly the painting came alive Amen. because you got all this different perspective. Yeah. And they were right up front and they give the, it gave the painting an energy which it needed. So that so that one was done in 2017. I think it's 2017 or 2016. How long did that take to paint, that one? It must take me about two months. Okay, it takes so, me long. And is that normal time for you to do a painting? Yeah, yeah, for six, seven, eight weeks. Yeah, two months. Two, working every day. Working every day. Wow. Yeah, working every day. Um, so that's that's the... Le- so so when I decided to do the, um, the Brixton, um, London Underground, um, for for Brixton, yeah. I, I decide three wicked men will really work with Brixton, particularly with the all the stuff in the eighties. I just told you about when yeah. stop and search and all that type of stuff. But I had to update it, so I had Jashaka like a DJ, like Jashaka. Jashaka's back. Yeah, <laughs> so if anything, he's Jashaka anyway. But it's a DJ in the background. I had a youth with his mobile phone, uh-huh. and I've changed it slightly. I made it much sharper. Um, the light is much, um, much more diagonal and vertical things happening in it. Yeah. Is so Winston Rose in that one? Does he appear? Well, Winston Rose is really the dread. That's why I was yeah. saying I couldn't have done that painting without him. Yeah. Without going through what I did with Winston Rose. So Winston Rose, I did the burial in 1981. Yeah. So the drawing for three weeks. I didn't do the original drawing. The original drawing was an a A4 paper was done by my brother when he was about 15, probably 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. The so the drawing. three wicked men are as a politician. Uh, yeah, the politician, the businessman. And the policeman. And the policeman, right. yeah. And there's a reggae record about it as well. There is a record. Is it bad guys or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the course on the, the politician? They don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. do it, have they? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the song title. Yeah. There, well, the whole... it's a, I think it's the Jamaican politics. Okay. I mean, because you remember Bob Marley was trying to connect Mandley and uh, Siago or whatever. Because yeah. Jamaican have a lot of, you know, anyway, wrong that time. So I think Three Wicked Men is about a lot of the, the stuff to do with J- Jamaican politics at the time. But so Jashaka used to play Three Wicked Men, you see. Right. So that's where the title comes from. Right, right, right. Because I always try and get my title to work with a record. So when I'm thinking about a title for my paintings, I start thinking about records. Yeah. And you know, in those days, they used to do remix. They'll do five, six versions. They'll yeah. compete with each other to do versions. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the version. That's why I did lots of different... Fr- I wasn't doing it, con- but when you, when you, when you're in a cycle of doing things where, uh, like, you, people are doing it, you naturally will do it without you having to think about think about doing it. 
because the atmosphere around you, you just absorb it and you do it. Yeah. And so I was doing it. In my, I was trying to do uh, what I was doing in my painting. They were doing in the music and the, the record. It was thing. like autonomous. It just became like a. Th that's why yeah. I'm saying about you going into a trance-like state with the music. Is that with yeah. you? That it connected with the music, connected with your hand, connected uh, with the drawings. It's like yeah. this whole harnessing of energy. You yeah. Were saying. Yeah. So I couldn't have done. So my brother did the original drawing on an A4 paper and bio blue ink. And I looked at it. After that, so I did the burial, and I saw this little drawing. You know, kids do drawings, which really, the kids' drawings are to do with what they see in society. Mm. Yeah, they don't make yeah, things yeah. up. No, you're right. They, yeah. You know, they see it. They yeah, see, and, in the, uh, and in the family home as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I thought, go, that's Winston Rose. Wow. So I took this drawing and just worked on it and worked on it and changed it and made it, well, so big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Actually, it's still there in the small drawing. So you got the, the dread, two policemen, and there's a flat, a little council flat in the background. Mm. And, the, and the, the, the mural in Brixton is called Brixton Blue. Brixton Blue. Yeah, and it, mm. it is incredible. It's got so many different types of blue in it as well. It's like yeah. it's such an amazing colour, isn't it? It has such an impact and when you're walking Brixton's down the stairs. Brixton's a Victoria line. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, it's still really relevant to today because um, young, young men and women are still being stopped on the streets regularly, yeah. mainly men, I think. Well, the history hasn't seemed to change. No, so it's a really relevant artwork. Well, well when I was doing the um, London Underground painting, Brixton Blue, I was thinking in the 70s, there used to be, um, because, you know, a lot of, they brought people over from the West Indies to work on London transport. Right. And I was shocked. I, I was doing, in the middle of doing the painting, I thought, yes, I used to remember those guys with their big hats, you know, those dread yeah. with their big hats yeah, with yeah, the yeah. London yeah. underground yes, logo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, there used to be lots of, there used to be a, well, a lot of black people used to really drive buses and not when you had a conductor doing his, yeah, you know, yeah. but when you don't have that now. So it was interesting because a lot of them were brought over in after the Second World War, 50s. They wouldn't rush a lot yes. for jobs to run the London under yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the trains and the hospital. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things that really struck me about your work is I think it's really difficult to paint sound. And mm. and there's obviously iconic paintings, like if you think of The Screen by Edvard Munch, and, yeah. and there's, there's certain works in the history. But your work really, to me, like I can imagine what it sounds like somehow. Mm. And it's also very much about light, of course. Yeah. And it's interesting if you're in a basement, you know, mm. this idea of light and the restriction of light and how that ends up really giving you parameters to work within, I guess, within mm. your work. But how important is that idea of painting sound to you? Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's one of the things... I think made me want to do paint those spaces and those people because half of it was the music. That was the first thing. Because like I said, when I was when I just came to London, I was eleven. And I couldn't go to school until I was twelve, because <laughs> I was the wrong age. Mm. So I stayed at home for about three or four months. And my mom taught me to sew bags. You know shopping bags? Yeah. Before plastic bags. They were made by people in factories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why my mom, like a cottage industry, she used to make it in the basement in the house. Wow. She worked for this lovely Jewish family, used to bring everything cut. This is in Stoke Newington. In Stoke Newington. Yeah. So my mom taught me to make bloody bags. Wow. And I was faster at making bags than my mom. Could you make a bag now? Oh, of course, yeah. Once you learn to yeah, do you it, never, you'll never forget, forget it. It's yeah. like riding a bike. Yeah, yeah. Make, <laughs> make a bag, riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> and to keep me sweet, you know, keep me entertained... I saw the latest Bob Marley records mm. with my little song system beside me. Oh. 
So immediately, you remember I told you I used to do all my mom rocksteady rock parties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to have, you know, my mom little um, disco, my mom little um, 45s, yeah. you know, small records, yeah. 45. Um, so I started really getting into music then. And then, of course, when dub came in, I mean, it was so exciting, dub music. You know, the distortions, the messing about, you know, the, the B-side, you know. Augustus Pablo was just an amazing, you know, those, those mix of King Tubby and Augustus Pablo. Oh, gosh. You put the B-side on and you're in heaven. Yeah. And so when I went to these nightclubs, I thought, shit, that's why I have to, that's why I have to paint the sound, the movement, the action, mm. you know. But when you start, when you, when the, the early paintings were quite static. Yeah, because I was so into, I suppose, the figures as well. Mm. But as it, as I keep doing, and that's a good thing about us. I'm telling you about the doing of it. Most of what well, artists are doing, doing, making. So if you were there drawing, you actually are getting into it without actually you having to force it, mm. because you are there. Because I love dance as well. You see, yeah, I used to do a lot of well, but once I started painting, I had to give it up. Anyway. Would you be having a little bop while you're drawing? Well, exactly. I'm terrible. Anyway, so um, the drawings, making the drawings on the spot was the thing that helped to con connect me with the big pack. Because if I didn't go to this nightclub and do the drawings, yeah. I couldn't have made those paintings. Right. And there's, there's an energy in the paintings, which is yeah. very dynamic and very fast in a sense. Like you, you feel the movement. It's, it's as if they are moving as yeah. you're looking yeah, at them. And, and that is it's obviously like from this process yeah. of drawing, yeah. which is so fast. You're talking about the length of a record, like three, four minutes, five minutes. And that's a rule you set yourself. Yeah. Well, a lot, 80% of the drawings are never touch. Because... When I do these drawings, remember it's dark. Yeah. I hardly could see what so I'm see, doing. Yeah, so you'd only see them when you got home. And I heard that you didn't always know what colour you'd you, what colour pencil yeah, no, you'd yeah. use. So sometimes you'd come out and it would yeah, be in pink yeah. or green and you wouldn't even know what colour it was. You'll have lots and lots of pastels around yeah. you. And you just you just go for the film. You know vaguely where certain colours are, but after a while you don't care really. Yeah. You, because every, the music takes over, the feeling takes over, and you have to do it. You don't want to start thinking. Because yeah. no. once you think the intellect takes over. Yeah. You just want to go with the feeling. So I'll do about 40 a night. I'll get home, whacked out, go to sleep. 40? Drawings. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, I'll be there. It's for almost it. like stream of consciousness. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's kind of like, like yeah. poetry. Like an inner monologue. Yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Like... Well, remember, I'll be there from about 11 till about 4, 5 in the morning. So wow. and would you would you drink or with energy drinks or what, uh, how would you see I yourself through that? I usually take something. Of, I think I used to take a beer or something with me because I didn't have enough money to go to the bar and buy a drink. So I used to have a plastic bag with my paper. I used to have something in there. You know, usually I think it's a beer or some water or something. Because right. you you know you you have to keep going. You know? yeah. I mean it's, it's a, I mean basically you know it's I knew I had to do it to make the painting. So I'll do about say forty a night. Then I'll take them um, to my house, go to bed, wake up next morning and say about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, that will be the first time I'm seeing them properly. Right. So to make, the, to make paintings from them, I'll select about four or five, stick them up on the wall, you know, next to the painting and make paintings from them. But I, I, I mean, all these drawings, I've kept them. I never destroyed any. It's amazing. I never just because sometimes if when you just do something, you don't know what you have done. No. You, and you might, if you keep them all in five, ten, 15, even now, I, I look at one, I think, oh yeah, 
it's it got it got that energy. But you could you wouldn't have seen it at the at time. The, time. Yeah. the ones you would have seen at the time are very different from the ones you 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 sort of put aside and didn't think nothing much of, but you still kept them. Yeah. yeah. So it's good when you when you make drawings like that is to keep them and look at them in about four or five because you don't actually know what you have done. Right, right, yeah. right. And but particularly when, I mean, that's the amazing thing about like, I was saying like what Peter Doig mentioned me, because it's like taking care of your, your painting. Mm. It's so important, you know, because... Well, they're your babies, aren't they? Well, exactly. And, you know, and, and people think you only have to have a studio to paint, but if you're making lots of painting and you're not selling them, you have, mm. to, you have to actually put them in a safe place. But now you are selling them. <laughs> what does that feel like? Letting, letting them go I'm glad to let them go oh, yeah. <laughs> is it a relief well they, they're going to special places yeah they are I mean it's amazing really and I guess there's um, other people taking care of them yeah yeah I mean they're going to special places because you know I'm having an exhibition in Nottingham now yeah yes it's so exciting yeah. and you're also going on to Spike Island as well that's in it in Bristol yeah, yeah. Well, so you're doing Nottingham Contemporary followed by Spike Island yeah a lot of the paintings are coming back yeah. So it'd be nice, you know, like some of those at Mafia. So oh, from private collections. Yeah. Being wow. So, yeah, so a lot of them might be coming back. Probably like about old four friends. or five. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it's it's great that the people are actually acquiring the paintings. It's the best thing that happens because there's only there's only so much you can do, really. Mm. You know, I mean, like I said, I've been taking care of them for over 40 years. You know, so it's great. You can that, let them go now. And also, you can, you've got all your drawings. So you can always How, yeah, go how back many drawings and, have you got? Yeah. Hundreds, hundreds. Well, the gallery's got them now. <laughs> yeah, so the gallery's the gallery's got the responsibility. So now you sign with Stephen Freeman; they have the responsibility for storing your works. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have to look after them anymore. No, the gallery takes oh, care of them. Well, that yeah. must be a relief. You've now got you can give this barn back you've been renting for the past forty years. <laughs> oh god! I was yeah. really fascinated by the idea as well that the drawings are so fast, and then you make these very kind of like slow paintings yeah. that might take months to finish. Exactly. And also the kind of intellectual rigor that comes with that, and then your color choices because you you're, you you as a color and one of our questions I'm going to ask you in a minute is mm. about color as well. But yeah. I love the I love your your choices of color to to take you to a place to like transform your you know what you're seeing into mm. this into this uh, kind of like space like a a room you're entering almost. Yeah, with color it's 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 about you you know it's about it's in you. Um, yeah. You don't actually know if you are good at it or not till just doing it and doing it and doing it. And I suppose being born in the West Indies. I mean, the Western is a bright, sunny place. And, you know, I mean, the colour, I mean, the blue sky and the, the sea water, turquoise, transparent. You know, so everything was very clear and sharp. As I mean, like we said, coming to London, where everything is... Because London is a very dark... I mean, it's colourful, but it's a grey. Everything has a yeah. bit of grey in it. Mm. You know, it does. And so um, a lot of the nightclub painting, of course, which were very dark paintings, but they are dark, but still... Rich in colour, mm. <laughs> you know, it isn't, it isn't, there is Well, that's because of people, people were wearing, you're saying, because of their regalia. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some people come dressed like, you know, an African prince or an African mm. princess, you know, and you think, oh, that colour is so lovely. Wow. And that, that idea of clothing is so present in your work and also mm. the dance movements. But mm. but I, I was thinking a lot about, there's a young fashion designer now called Nicholas Daly. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever come across him, but he's amazing. I'm actually wearing his corduroy trousers right now. Oh. But he, he's really inspired by by music and club scenes and 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 reggae and dub. Um, yeah. And it all inspires his style. And he, he's a really young designer. He's one of my favourite designers. And he's using a lot of like um, textile mills within the UK and all this kind of um, oh, history good. of fabric. 
bricks and stuff. But I think you'd really respond to what he's doing. And he makes collages of photographs from from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Mm. And he's very much looking back to that era that I guess he wasn't part of and that he's following on from. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but I really like that in your work as well, the, the kind of the style of the, the yeah. clothes. I think a lot of the... When I started using a lot of... I used lots of oranges and yellows. When I started doing... I did a painting called Witch Doctor. Basically, I tried to connect the nightclub scene with the Notting Hill scene. You know, Notting Hill Carnival, I used yeah. to go to that every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Notting Hill Carnival, I just used to love it because, you know, you've got your song system on the street corner. Yeah. And there used to be houses that are decked in flags and stuff like that. So I used to go there and did, I did drawings as well, very quick. Um, I did this painting called um, uh, Witch Doctor, which is basically two massive speakers yeah. and the DJ in the middle and a few f- dancing figures on the side. And that's one of the first fa- paintings where I started not, I'm, I'm trying to paint it in daylight as opposed to night scene. Mm. And that painting helped me a lot to um, take me back to the West Indies, basically. And I start thinking about all these bright colours. And then, of course, I went to Italy for two years, Rome. And, of course, Rome has got a beautiful light. Yeah. Mm. Not like London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so in Rome, in Rome, I did Carnival Dub. Carnival Dub is just oranges and yellow, like four big. I did a, the, my one of my biggest paintings is about four meters square, probably five. I did four massive big speakers on each corner of the canvas. It's aerial view mm. and sort of a dread coming out like a vortex in the middle for the woman. Wow. And then the painting changed. Then I did someone doing a monkey dance, but that painting helped me to take me back to Carnival in the West Indies and Notting Hill, mixing the nightclub scene mm. with the it's sort of day, daylight scene. But being in Rome helped me a lot to use colour. And what, what, what actually took you to Rome? Was there a residency or something? There a scholarship, the, didn't the, you? The Rome Fellowship. The, the Rome, Rome Fellowship was amazing. Well, it's a year now, but when I had it, it was two years. You get a massive... Is that the British School at Rome? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know it. It's yeah. government funded. Yes. It's in Villa Borghese. It's still going, is it? Yeah, because, yeah. um, you know, Catherine Story went on it and a few oh, people really? we know have been on it. Oh, I think Eddie Peake might have done it. Wow. It's one yeah. of the best fellowships you can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is set up for you. You've got a big studio. For two Three years? When it was I two years it, then. It's one year now. It's one year now. Yeah. Well, when I had it, it was amazing. Before the Euro. So every, right. Everything was dirt cheap. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and the food's so good as well. So it was the lira. <laughs> and and the they, had the si- yeah. they had siestas. Got I love a siesta. Three, three hours during the day, there's nothing on the street. You just walk down the corso. There's nothing on the corso. You know, it's like the equivalent to Oxford Street. Mm. Oh, and as a painter, <laughs> you must have seen so many great paintings as well because there's so much sort of rich culture in yeah. it. Oh, God. And like you just turn the corner and there's a Hagendaz and then there's a, like yeah. the Trevi Fountain, which well, is yeah. this amazing. When I, when I was there, you could just walk into a church and there's a Caravaggio. Exactly. Yes. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I go there to do that. Yeah. It's my favourite thing. There's a Caravaggio just there. No, and you just sit in front of it for hours. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was such an inspiring... And all the lovely Benini piazzas... Yes. With all those lovely big muscular figures spouting water and blowing this conch shell. Yeah, we love that. Me <laughs> that was what Michael Stipe wanted. It was a Benini sculpture. Oh, really? That was what his his art house was. Yeah. Oh, well, let's get on the to that. Yeah. We ask every guest that comes on, uh, Denzel, we ask them if they could do an art heist, their touchstone artwork that they could steal and take home. Yeah. We would help you do it. What would it be and why? Oh, we love to be a Van Gogh. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, um, it's a portrait of him when he just cut his ear off. Oh, so yes. he's a bandage head. Yes, yes, yes. So he's wearing, <laughs> he was in a pretty bad state then. Yeah. So he's wearing his bandage across his head. He's got his Russian Cossack hat. 
on his peasant style coat with one button. Mm. <laughs> but he must have been going through a pre- because it's not pe- the paint quality doesn't look as good as his other portraits. And in the background, I think there's a kind of Japanese uh, or more Oriental painting that influenced him a lot at the back. But it, I think it was a big transition for him because I think he just, um, well, split up with Gogan, I think probably the thing had come to an end. Yeah. And so it must have been a So that, that painting, I think, has a lot going on to do with him. And his life because he's such a sort of such a creative person. Yeah, yeah. It's such yeah. raw emotion. Where have you work. seen this? Have you seen it in the flesh. Uh, I think when I, when I was at Central, we went to um, Amsterdam. Yeah, to the Van Gogh Museum. Museum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, his paintings, when you look at them, you look they look as if they're just painted. Yeah, yeah they do. Fresh. Yeah. Oh, they still look wet, don't they? Like they smell yeah. the paint. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. So I mean, and he's. Um, I mean, he, I mean, the other. I was. But I think that's the one I would take. I mean, some of his peasant women digging in the earth with a spade, they remind me of some of my figures in the nightclub because they're always from the back and they're, di- and they're digging in. There's are lots of movement. They've yes, got a hell of... Yes. Well, his brush mark is always, you know, always Gestural, moving. Yeah. yeah. No, no, but definitely Van Gogh. I mean, he's just, I mean, he only had 10 years to do what he did and it's just amazing. Are there, are there other artists that really inspired you? to want Yeah, to make but, uh, well, when, when I started... When I just started, I don't know, 14, 15, I was, oh, Leonardo da Vinci. Really? Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci? Wow. I do, I so you, did, you've always I been did, aiming quite high. Right, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I did a portrait of me in the Leonardo da Vinci style. Have you still really? got it? Yeah, yeah. I've made my offer and everything. Yeah, <sighs> uh, I still have it. And then I did one of um, North African starving woman in that style my brother's got that in his flat wow and then i did da vinci for about a, a year you know it's always good when you're starting to be inspired by some of these amazing artists and then of course i got into cubism big time i love cubism so picasso and there's still flavors of that in my work yes. yeah you can yeah. definitely see that yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. yeah love picasso i mean he was the one who turned people on to african art basically yeah uh, yeah i mean otherwise in this country they would never look at it yeah. <laughs> well he went to he went to one that like took a tribal mask back from africa and then that was his inspiration yeah. for all of his faces yeah, yeah. yeah. no no picasso is just amazing yeah, so I was turning on my Picasso for quite a while. So I did lots of cubistic style painting at the beginning of Central. And then when we, we used to go to France oh, quite a lot. Um, Cezanne. Uh, a lot, but I did a lot of my back garden in, in Stokey, Stoke Newington, in, in, the, in the sort of uh, Monet Cezanne style. I still really? have them. You oh, used to paint oh, your oh. garden? Wow. But when I saw, when I saw, I saw Picasso's, Picasso has a lovely collection. There's a lovely Matisse painting. It's a still life. It's a little ball. It's about under, what, two feet. But it's like a stained glass, the colours. Very black lines and strong, bold colours. But Picasso had a beautiful, he had a lovely collection of stuff that he, of his own. He must uh, have done trades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Wheeling yeah. and dealing, yeah. 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 No, no, that was a very inspiring time for me when I was at Central because this was like a transition. I was searching for something. I was searching for the nightclubs, you see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once a fun, because I found the nightclubs in the middle of Central instead of um, a 70, 77, something about 77, mm. yeah. That's when I found And your work I, changed then. No, I see that. What really, did the tutors say? Were they like, hang on a minute, there's something going on different now in your work? What's happened? 
I think they were, I think they must have because my BA show I had two of my nightclub paintings in a small one about a meter and one big one. Um, no, I think they knew something had changed because the the one that I think they liked a lot was a small, where's well, about a meter, a small nightclub one, which I capture. It's very dark. It's all blue. It's all and. Of that one, I got a lot of good response for that. Mm. Plus, I got a one, you see, so they must have really thought something has happened. The first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Really? Oh, wow. Cool. Legend. Legend. Legendary. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, so, yeah. the other question we ask every guest is, yeah. what is your favourite colour? Well, at the moment, it's blue. Yes. yes. Because we're Brixton blue. Yeah. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of blue paintings since I retired. A lot. Um, most of the paintings are like 80% blue. Was that a conscious decision or did it happen no, naturally? No, no, it, it happens emotionally when you work. Well, if I think when I was in Rome and after Rome, I went to America, Harkness Fellowship, it's oranges and yellows. Yeah. You know, I've just come from my gallery, Stephen Friedman, and there's three of my paintings there. And I think, you know, blue is my favorite color now, but these paintings are all oranges and yellows. <laughs> <laughs> For mm. shit. It feels yeah. quite alien yeah. now. But it just shows you. You don't realize it. You might have a favorite color for four or five years and then it changes. But I think blue might be more constant. Mm. Three wicked men. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think I can see yeah. blue and in your there's a lot Yeah, there's like a thread throughout your, yeah. your creativity. And that yeah. blue painting I just told you I did that my tutors like, what was in my B issue at Central. Blue have been very dominant, I think, throughout my... Although I love those bright colors when I see mm. them, it seems that I think I'm well. Winston Rose as well. I always do it. I I did a lot of dark paintings because of Winston Rose, and it was the amazing thing. I think was going to Rome. The getting the Rome Fellowship was so good for me, because I was doing all that Winston Rose stuff, and I was, and I was looking for that type of subject matter. But because the the beautiful thing about me and Winston Rose, I grew up with him for about four or five, so I knew him. Mm. So I wasn't painting about someone. I didn't know. Yes. It meant something to mm -hmm. me. And when I finished the Royal College, um, I was looking, oh, because I was thinking about doing Biko, you know, Steve Biko, because he died in horrible circumstances. Mm -hmm. He was a South African activist. Wasn't That's he? it. He was killed him. He was assassinated, yeah. Yeah. So I, I but was, because you didn't know him, no, you found it harder to... Yeah, and I, was, I find myself being too intellectual about it. I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. But the good thing was I was sent to Rome. It released Italy. you. It sort of gave you a sort of release. Yeah, it took me out from yeah. my natural environment. And I thought, God, I'm dying to paint the clubs. Yeah. Right. I'm dying and to paint all the dub look, scenes. Look back at, you know, London from afar. That's yeah. it. And you it see it from a distance. Yeah. And then yeah. you can see it. nostalgic, yeah. more nostalgic. Yeah. When you're away yeah. from home, yeah. Yeah. oh, you miss it so much. Yeah. So it was yeah, so yeah. exciting being here. Guys, to come back for Christmas and go to all the clubs. When was the last time you painted a club or drew, drew in a club? Well, about three weeks ago. Oh, really? Like, Where? Ludbrook Grove, Jashaka. Right, yeah, so you, you went back in there and you that's got your... I, oh, that's wow. what I was saying. I hadn't drawn Jashaka for over... Does he know? Has he got any of your work? No, no, no. Does, is he aware of you, though? He must yeah, be. Yeah, because his, his PA, Nikki, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. She's been with him for 30 years. Yeah. She organised all his dues. Yeah. Incredible woman. Um, I met her and um, she told me that he was playing. She sent me an email. Oh. And I came all the way from Cornwall to go to it. Yeah, it's Lodbrook Grove. There's a club there beneath the Notting Hill Flyover. Um, it's an amazing place. Um, and so I hadn't drawn Josh Acker for over 25 years, I think. Oh, so I've got it on, on video. 
Nikki, Nikki, I'm recording it. I'll send it to you later. Yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, this is amazing. It's I think you're such a privilege to you're speak just, to you. Yeah, you're an amazing, amazing artist, a wonderful man. But also what I think what your art is is kind of um documenting British history, but especially black British history. And you've been there the whole time and it's you're an you're an asset to the, the the kind of the history do you know yeah, what I mean yeah, of, yeah. of Britain is... yeah and your paintings are going to live on beyond all of us yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I think they're like we were saying it's so great that you're able to keep the messages alive yeah from, yeah. From yeah, yeah it's interesting when you do something not realizing you're recording a part of history mm. like but only recently yeah, yeah you yeah. know since like twenty years twenty yeah. years ago. I know but it's fascinating <laughs> how those buildings are no longer in use you know like oh, those that, those, clubs. those clubs have gone and and yeah. at least they're still alive and yeah. remembered through, and through your, your paintings. Work. So and especially a, and anyone going through Brixton Station or going down to the underground off the high street, yeah. you can see Brixton Blue, the mural, as you go down the stairs. And how long is it there for? How long does it? Until twenty twenty, isn't it? For a year. Do you have a, is it September next year? Yeah, great because yeah. the artists before and Jekka Akinili Crosby had the yeah. mural before. That, I think those ones were six months. They're six months. You got a year. They've extended to a year. Legend. <laughs> yeah. So please go visit Brixton Station, yes. everybody. And get a um, picture of Brixton Blue and yeah. yeah. So, so next work. for you is uh, not in contemporary and then Spike, Spike Island. Spike Island, yeah. And you're yeah. working to anything beyond that, or that's enough for the moment? Well, it's enough for the moment because I've about about eight. But six or eight paintings will be new in Nottingham and Spike Island. Mm -hmm. right. And like I said, it takes me about just over a month to do a new painting. Mm -hmm. uh, so it does take quite a while. But the nice thing about my stage, I've got all this work. Um, you know, if I was probably in my 20s and 30s, I'd be regurgitating things. But no, you know, I'm you know I'm not going to be fooled and messed about with in this time of my life. You know, <laughs> I cannot be used and abused. No, no, <laughs> but no. when you're young, you know, you're very vulnerable. You're very vulnerable. You know, and you think, oh, I'll chuck them out. I'll keep turning. You know. Do you have advice for a young artist now? Then listening, what would you say? You must follow your heart. Follow your soul. Find the stuff that really means something. There's no point. You're only here for a second. You got to do what means something to you. I did. I did it without actually knowing. I was doing it basically, because mm. um, that's what lasts. Because it's do it coming from deep inside you, you know. It's you know transcending stuff, and it connects to everything. Yeah. Once you do it, it connects to everything, and you could keep doing it without. What am I going to paint today? Mm. What am I going to? Paint? Mm. <laughs> because and it's very difficult finding. You know, because I mean that was a good thing about when me being an art school been influenced by all these interesting artists. They helped me to find myself, you know. So in the beginning, you got to be influenced by interesting people. Yeah. You know, people you, you found, oh, yeah, well, I like this one. But it helps you to get on to the where you want to go to. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You need nice. to learn from all those greats and, yeah, then, awesome. and then work out your own voice. Yeah. And I think also when you follow your heart, like you say, I think the audience, not that the audience is important at that point, but yeah. the audience will end up receiving it yes. and feeling it yes. and being touched by it. And you'll end up changing things in a way yeah. and influencing other people, I guess. But um, because, it's, because it's authentic and it's, it's come from a true place. Yeah, we all know when we stand in something that is actually speaking to us. Exactly, yeah. As, you know, because a lot of the time you'll stand there and there's nothing there. Yeah. And you think, what am I doing here? <laughs> mm. Well, we're happy you are here. Yeah, thank you so we much. We absolutely love you and we, we feel like you definitely are here and we're so excited you are. It's been oh, such an inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for I coming feel on. Very Thanks for coming all the way from Truro and Cornwall. Yeah. My God. No, it's lovely. Adventure. It's lovely because I can go back 
and get on to my canvas now. Yeah. You know, that's a nice thing about being in Cornwall. And before you, know, you get to do that, we are going to take a picture with you, but we're actually recording in King's Cross and when you walked in, you saw a huge uh, speaker system that's it, that you lovely. responded to. Oh, yeah, it's oh, like one of your paintings. I must have those we have to get a picture there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. We'll be posting pictures of all the artworks we've spoken about on our Instagram, at Talk Art. And um, you can also see Denzel's work um, on Stephen Friedman's uh, Instagram. Yes. Are you on Instagram yourself? Probably not. No. I wouldn't no, imagine you are. No, I think no, you're too no. busy painting. Oh, yeah. And then, exactly. as you on said, Breaks Underground Station. At the minute, yeah. that's up till September 2020. Yeah, which is not on the Underground uh, project. Yes. And um, thank you so much. Thank it's you very much. Great privilege to thank spend time with you. And, thank you, everyone. Um, looking forward yeah. to seeing your show in Nottingham. Yeah. And we'll be back very soon. Oh, big love. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.